This is Scott Richman, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from the WVOX studios in New York. In the fight against hate and anti-Semitism, the role played by the rabbinic community is critical. With that in mind, ADL has just brought that expertise in-house with the announcement of Rabbi David Wolpe as ADL's inaugural rabbinic fellow. In that role, Rabbi Wolpe will not only serve as a thought partner and leader for the organization, but also help ADL to better integrate Jewish values and a wide range of Jewish perspectives into its work. I'm thrilled to welcome Rabbi Wolpe both to ADL and to today's show to tell us more about this important new role. Welcome, Rabbi, too, from the front lines. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. You served as the senior rabbi at Sinai Temple in Los Angeles for many years and were extremely well-respected in that role. Why did you decide to retire from the pulpit at what could be argued as the, the height of your career? Thank you, first of all, and I appreciate the question. I'll give you two different answers to it. One is I remember when my father, who was a very successful rabbi in Philadelphia, retired from Har Zion. I said to him, why are you leaving now? People still want you to stay. And he said, I would rather leave when they want me to stay than stay when they want me to leave. I wanted to actually retire when things were good in the synagogue. Um, and the other was because I did recognize, having been there for 26 years, that my successors, who were a wonderful couple, a husband and wife who uh, had been my assistants for a number of years, I realized that they had an enthusiasm and an energy to create and do things that I had sort of lost some energy to do. Uh, and that was just a function of time. Um, and that if I posed new challenges to, for myself, I could probably be more productive ultimately than if I renewed old challenges. Okay, so let's talk about what you're putting your energy into. What, what does retirement look like? Besides ADL, what, what are you focused on? I'm working also with the Maimonides uh, Fund, which is a wonderful organization, and I'm uh, trying to promote diversity. Diversity here meaning diversity of views. In other words, enabling people to have lots of different kinds of opinions about things without being ruled out of court uh, for them uh, in the Jewish world and I hope beyond. And I'm also teaching uh, in the Divinity School at Harvard. I'm a visiting scholar where I'll be writing and researching and teaching. Um, and uh, I would say between being emeritus at the synagogue, the ADL, the Maimonides Fund in Harvard, my time should be reasonably well occupied. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's take a step back. Maybe give the listeners a sense of your background besides Sinai Temple. I was born in Harrisburg and I grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, my father was the rabbi, as I said, of a major congre conservative congregation in Philadelphia called Har Zion. And I went to uh, Jewish school there, to Akiva Hebrew Academy. After I left, I went to Penn. From there, went to rabbinical school, first in Los Angeles, a year in Israel, and then I finished at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York. From there, I went back to the University of Judaism, now called American Jewish University in L.A., and I was on a fellowship, and I did teaching and writing and speaking. Went back to the seminary to teach for a while, and then after about 10 years in the rabbinate, I took a pulpit and uh, was there at Sinai for 26 years. And it was a wonderful 
and fulfilling experience. I'm going to add a few more pieces to that background. You were named, sure. quote, the most influential rabbi in America by Newsweek and one of the 50 most influential Jews in the world by the Jerusalem Post. You've written eight books. Uh, you've authored weekly columns for the Jewish Week and the Jerusalem Post. And uh, you've taught it at many places, not just JTS, but American Jewish University, Hunter College, University of California at Los Angeles. You've you clearly could have had your, your pick of uh, organizations and opportunities. So why ADL? What drew you to this organization? Now, there were two things, actually, that drew me to the ADL. One was personal and one was ideological. The personal was that the, <clears throat> the CEO of the ADL, Jonathan Greenblatt, and I have known each other a long time. Uh, he and his uh, wife, Marjan, before they moved to the East Coast, were members of my congregation. And, uh, and so... We had a relationship, and he talked to me about doing this for a number of years before I uh, actually retired and was available to do so. And the second is, you know, when my father was uh, in the pulpit, I remember thinking anti-Semitism is a big part of what he has to deal with as a rabbi. But when I started out as a rabbi, I thought, but it's not going to be really my issue because it was not nearly so um, prominent in the Jewish world or the general world in America, even in Europe. And unfortunately, as all your listeners know, and as you know too well, it didn't stay that way. And anti-Semitism has become a major concern in our world. And so I felt as though there was also a responsibility that I had, if I could make a contribution, to make a contribution to this effort. And, and I thought that there was something in particular that I could bring to it. Let's talk about that contribution and delve a bit deeper into your role. What exactly will you be working on? What Jonathan asked me to do and, uh, and, what I, and what I've started to do and will try to do in the time to come is to help the ADL craft its traditional message in Jewish terms as well. That is, to help show the ways in which Jewish sources, not only biblical sources, but through the long tradition of Talmudic sources and so on, the way in which those sources speak to the question of hatred, not just anti-Semitism, but other hatreds as well, and the way that we can draw from our own tradition to make the case in this world um, that the way that we see some elements of public life uh, moving is antithetical to the Jewish tradition as well as to what people might think of as humanistic values. I'm going to ask a, a follow-up question to that, which is why? Why is it so important for this organization to be able to articulate that? Well, there are two reasons, I think. One is that it is a Jewish organization. It's the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith, and it was founded, obviously, in reaction to an act of anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism is hatred of Jews, um, and that's the core mission of the ADL. So the tie is there. And the second is that the ADL has reached far beyond the Jewish community. And I think that it is a good thing for the Jewish tradition to show the world some of the spiritual riches and social um, thought that originates in our tradition so that we will be able to let people know um, 
that Judaism is a is a powerful world tradition that speaks to values that everyone can share. And so both because it's Jewish and because it reaches beyond Jewish boundaries, I think using Jewish sources is uh, an enrichment of the message. You're an incredibly insightful leader and speaker, and, and the past few minutes have certainly borne that out. I, I'd like to hear your views on the clear rise in anti-Semitism over the past decade or so. Uh, what, what do you think of it? What's leading to it? And, and how is this being uh, seen in the Jewish community? I have a lot of thoughts about it, but I will, I'll try to be concise. Um, one, one, of course, is that, as many people have noted, the, the receding into history of the Shoah, of the Holocaust, has led people to forget the enormously um, tragic and catastrophic consequences that anti-Semitism can lead to. So one is a lack of historical memory. The second is that uh, the rise of fundamentalisms, especially in our world of a certain brand of Islamic fundamentalism, has fueled uh, anti-Semitism um, that was exported in some ways to Europe and also to the United States. Uh, and that, you find, sort of makes common cause because it, it, uh, it actually grew up in some ways in Christian lands, but it sort of forms a circle left and right where people are using the same tropes now um, from different parts of the ideological spectrum. So there is the spreading of these ancient anti-Semitic stereotypes and tropes, uh, which is the second motivator. And then I think that the third is that there is because of the disorientation of the modern world and the sort of lack of getting a foothold and the way things are changing so quickly and people feeling uneasy, there is a tremendous desire to find what is it that's making this world so unsettled and so difficult. And anytime there are conspiratorial theories and anytime someone searches for a scapegoat, both the prominence of the Jews and the traditional scapegoating of the Jews will almost inevitably lead to them being identified, even in places where no Jews live, lead them to being identified as the culprit. So there are a lot of factors that have gone into it. And I, uh, I think that we unfortunately still have a lot to see in the future, but I'm somewhat optimistic about America. <laughs> that is a good, hopeful note, but uh, but still a very depressing message. And, you know, we we Jews do not live in a vacuum, and, and anti-Semitism right. does not exist in a vacuum. So I, I want to broaden the lens for a second. You know, we're in a moment when extremists have become emboldened, and when polarization yeah. is politicizing every issue and, and really straining society. So I'd like your views really on these broader societal concerns that are impacting everybody and not just the Jewish community. Yes, you're exactly right. And it's very painful. Um, and there is almost nothing that you can say of any substance that doesn't immediately align you with you're on my side or you're on their side. And the force of tribal disapproval, if you say something that your own side doesn't like, and anger from the side that you uh, disagree with is 
enormous. Um, and so those of us who really do try to speak to both sides and to bridge across the divide um, have a lot of work cut out for us. Uh, I saw this in my own synagogue. My own synagogue is politically very divided. Um, and the, uh, the ways in which I tried, at least, to bridge that divide was to get people to know each other as human beings before they knew each other as political animals. Part of the problem that we have is we have no common culture. Nobody reads the same books or watches the same movies or, or uh, goes to the same shows. And so the one thing that we all have in common is the most divisive issue in society, which is politics. And therefore, when you meet someone, you immediately identify them by their politics as your kind of person or not your kind of person. Whereas if you started with, <laughs> what, what do you, you know, how do you put your kids to bed? What do they eat for dinner? Like, what sports teams do you like? In other words, other things that are not political things, we might know each other as human beings before we started attacking each other as political rivals. You were a pulpit rabbi for many years and, and really dealt with this polarization head on. Uh, and those are uh, uh, some very important strategies for, uh, for dealing with it. A few weeks ago, uh, ADL was honored to participate in the 60th anniversary commemoration of the March on Washington at the request of the family of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., among others. Uh, you were integral to ADL's role. Tell us about your participation in the events of that weekend. Uh, it was uh, it was really quite an honor, and uh, I had two roles in the weekend. One was that I spoke at the Friday night dinner, the Shabbat dinner, and I had a chance to introduce sort of the subject of the way in which the Jewish and black communities, and for that matter, every community has struggled in one way or another with various challenges, each one, of course, um, incommensurate with the others. That is, the fact that all communities have had challenges doesn't make all of their challenges equal. It just means that uh, we can learn from one another and grow together. And then I had the opportunity to speak uh, in front of the Lincoln Memorial on the next morning, the morning of the march. And that was also a very powerful and, uh, I would say, symbolically beautiful opportunity because so many of the speakers were drawn from all walks of life. In fact, coming right before me was the former mayor of Los Angeles, Antonio Villaraigosa. And uh, we were both marveling at the range of speakers and the power of the messages and the fact that 60 years later, um, we were still gathering both to remember Dr. King's words and also uh, to try to carry forward his message. Yeah, I mean, I think even the original march did not have such broad participation, but to have the Jewish community, the Asian community, Latino community, everybody coming together to, to stand with the black community uh, in this commemoration was, uh, was very powerful. Any other impressions of the commemoration itself and, and the idea of, uh, of ADL's role in it? The idea that the ADL was a part of this was really quite wonderful because we know that the Jewish community played an outsized role in the uh, civil rights movement in the 60s, and that um, black Jewish relations have, 
had their strains, especially in uh, the recent past, and yet we share so much um, and can do so much together that I think this was a powerful affirmation of the way in which the two communities could look to each other um, to fight what is a rising tide of hatred. And as I said, although hatreds differ, still hatred, hatred is hatred. And to try to change the tenor and tone of society is in everyone's interest. Do you think this could be a springboard for improved black Jewish relations? I hope so. And uh, I'm, I, I'm always, I am by nature uh, hopeful. And by nature, uh, I, I won't say optimistic because uh, I think optimism just means you think things are going to work out. Whereas hopeful means that you believe that people can make them work out. And I really do believe that uh, the determination and the, and I would say the goodwill of the people whom I met and spoke to at that march, um, that better times could come. But it will take a lot of work and a lot of tolerance and a lot of listening and a lot of time. We in the Jewish community talk a lot about black Jewish relations and how important it is and and the, the role that uh, Jewish organizations and Jews played in the in the civil rights movement. But let's let's ask the question why. Why is it so important to have such strong relations with uh, between the, the black community and the Jewish community? Uh, I, I think it's important, first of all, because the black community is the identified other of American life. And I mean, this, you know, the black community was created largely through the slave trade and um, the history of race relations in America is fraught and often tragic. And Jewish values compel us. I mean, this is part of what Judaism has always taught, that the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the dispossessed, um, the people who, uh, who are not getting a fair shake in life, that that's part of the prophetic mandate is to try to help them. And the other reason, I think, is that uh, America, there aren't Americans and Jews or Americans and blacks. We are all Americans together. And in this patchwork quilt, it's only by, uh, by minorities holding hands, since every group in some sense is a minority. It's only by minorities holding hands and acknowledging each other in their uniqueness and their sameness that we will be able to move this country forward. So it is both in Jewish values and Jewish history and also uh, an expression of the best in America. A lot of what we've talked about has been uh, a little bit depressing, <laughs> and yeah. I speak a lot. Uh, I speak in many different fora, and very often, uh, at least when I'm, I'm interviewed, uh, I'm asked at the end to say something positive. So I'm going to ask you that question. What, what gives you hope uh, in this moment uh, that we're in, and given all of the, the difficult things that you've just spoken about? I want to identify two areas of hope. The first is that America is not very good at historical memory, but Jews are. And we have been in much worse, much more difficult situations than we are today. And we have survived and, and in many, many, many ways thrived. And so I don't want to commit the sin of presentism and thinking that this time is the worst time or the most dangerous time or the most awful time, because it clearly isn't. 
So partly we should learn from the resilience of our ancestors that we should have hope for today. And the other reason that we should have hope is that at the same time as there are difficulties, human beings have worked wonders in this world. I mean, we built and created fantastic things. And so we can build on what we've done to make a better future. Rabbi David Wolpe, that is a perfect and hopeful note on which to end this show. This has been a fascinating and truly enjoyable few minutes learning about your new role at ADL and so much more. Thank you so much for the work you are now doing with ADL and for everything else you do to make this world a better place. I will end this show in my usual way by thanking you, the listeners, for tuning in. You are what makes possible this show and all that I have done over these past eight and a half years at WVOX 1460 AM. Unfortunately, after 63 years in business, WVOX was just sold and will no longer be broadcasting from New Rochelle, New York. So for now, From the Frontlines is taking a hiatus while I regroup and either find another radio station or simply convert this to a podcast. Please let me know your thoughts and suggestions for next steps by contacting me through social media. My Twitter handle is at Scott A. Richmond. My Instagram and threads handle is at Scott, S-C-O-T-T underscore A-D-L. In the meantime, please follow me on social media and engage in the conversation there. In the words of ADL's hashtag, let us all continue to fight hate for good.